welcome to Fort Wayne Ballet's Kinetic Conversations. I'm Karen Gibbons-Brown, the Artistic Director of Fort Wayne Ballet, and on today's podcast, we're speaking with Cameron Baston and Jane Lanier, two of my most favorite people in the world. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So a lot has happened in our world in the last few months, and I want to talk a little bit about that within what we do as dancers and teachers. But first, I'd like you to tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are, and then we'll go on into our views, how we're feeling about this specific day and time in the world of dance. So Cameron, you've been with us before. Would you mind just refreshing our audience a little bit about yourself? About myself? Yes, certainly. My career was with the Joffrey Ballet. I was a dancer with the company for many, many years, working with numerous choreographers. And uh, as you remember, Joffrey was sort of the company that bridged classical ballet with contemporary ballet. And so I was able to dance all of those types of ballets and contemporary works, which was quite exciting for me. Then when I stopped dancing, I became ballet master with the company and then eventually associate director with the Joffrey Ballet. After I left the Joffe Ballet, I was a director at Interlochen Arts Academy as an instructor and a director. And uh, now living in Miami, Florida, I have founded the Miami Dance Hub, which is a service organization to unify the community, promote dance, to give resources to artists, as well as to audience members to promote the art of dance. And I love coming to Fort Wayne because it's just a pleasure to be here and to work with your lovely, lovely dancers and students. Thank you for that. So many people will say, and I'm a firm believer in this also, that Mr. Joffrey truly shaped what an American ballet dancer should be. Yes. In the sense of space and movement quality and a little more extreme from the more classical expectation of the choreography. What is your biggest takeaway working with Mr. Joffrey and Mr. Arpino as well? I think that the biggest takeaway for me was that the foundation of a dance artist has to be very solid, very clear, very detailed, very precise, and very simple, and that allows a dancer to do everything. And Mr. Joffrey himself was a big advocate. He was a meticulous teacher, very simple, very clear, but his company did everything. And I think that that was what I appreciated most about him. And certainly working with Mr. Arpino, which you have done a lot of his works and the use of the back and the torso and the floor and the speed. So I think that the foundation that Mr. Joffrey promoted in his dancers allowed that ability to do everything. And that's what I enjoyed about the company so much. In the classical world, we have what we call en croix, which is in the shape of a cross. Mm -hmm. So traditionally things are done front, back, and side, or side to side. So it's like a cross. But I feel that Mr. Arpino specifically in his choreography tended to round out the edges so there was a more complete feeling of space and revolution within your own body and your choreography. That's exactly right. He liked very much the side of the body and the torso that the initiation of movement kind of started from the center of your body and the floor and that everything, there was a round feeling to it. I mean, of course, you know, depending on what the work was, there were stops and starts, but the way he moved, the side of the torso and the back and the arms, and and he liked everything long and streamlined and grounded. So there were a lot of like highs and lows in his choreography and, and the use of space where he just would travel across the floor at the speed of light, you know, that, uh, and every ballet that he did was very, very different, but they all had that same quality and the same use of the torso and the facility and space. That's amazing. That was the perfect bridge. So now, Miss Lanier, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, 
and this very ballet school in the, um, oh, well, I'm going to date myself, <laughs> mid to late 70s, um, and then went on to have a, a baby. Yeah. Went on to have a um, career on Broadway. So I took the ballet training, my foundation here, and did cruise ships, did six Broadway shows, with Bob Fosse, worked with Jerome Robbins. My first Broadway show, I did Balanchine choreography, then did a lot of straight acting. I'm a song and dance woman. I sing TV and film, and then started working on the other side, directing plays, directing musicals, directed a short film, choreographing. So kept trying to find new challenges for myself as an artist, and always wanting to grow and learn something new and do something new. And now I teach. I live in Chicago. So I was in New York for a long time. I was in Los Angeles for a long time. I'm now in Chicago. I'm head of a musical theater dance concentration program. So basically training triple threats, which is pretty much what I did. You know, you have to sing, dance, and act at the same time. And um, I love it. I got to work with some of the masters and I feel it's important to pay that forward and to pay it back. We're so grateful. Well, and I love coming home. This is home. It's been quite a while since I've been here, since I left so early, and it's a gift to get to come back, Karen. It's wonderful to have you. So we were speaking with Cameron a moment ago about Mr. Arpino and Mr. Joffrey bridging into the more contemporary works and shaping an American dancer. And you mentioned Jerome Robbins, who was a bridge within himself. He did Broadway musicals, he did contemporary works, he did ballet works with many companies around. What was that like working with him? Hard. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the word on the street <laughs> for hard. Yes. But I think it's one of the best and most exciting and difficult pieces I ever did eight times a week, you know? Watching him work, we were in rehearsals for six months, and watching him work, because I wasn't in a lot. He saved me for that uh, pas de trois. So I got to see his work and his insecurities, which that is what drove his need for perfection, shall we say? His genius. Yes, and his sense of humor in his choreography. Not necessarily personality-wise, because he was in his head a lot, but his choreography, his sense of humor was amazing. But I loved it. I loved it. It was really, like I said, hard. The number was hard. But he allowed me to dance it in the way that I did. Not necessarily. I met Ellen Ann McCleary, who did it originally in another show, and it was very different. So he allowed my personal style to come through. And then, of course, Robert LaFosse and Louis Prez being two of the best partners I'd ever had that with all those lifts, because I was in heels doing all those lifts. But yeah, I mean, that was a gift. And it was, you know, like Fosse, storytelling. So all his movements were about something. So it was about the acting. It was about the story. So getting a Tony nomination for that, because a lot of people could do the steps and kick your face and turn, but it was about the acting. And for me, it was not for me, for all of us in the dance community on Broadway, we were always third. We were the bottom rung, right? Singers, actors, even though we did all three. 
because I didn't say a word in that show. So it was a nomination strictly, I think, for the dancing plus the acting, but it was for the community that there was an acknowledgement for the first time of the importance of dance. And of course, Jerry gave us so much amazing dance that it was time for that. You know, in that spirit, I mean, I even got letters and stuff from my friends saying, this is for us. And it was, it was, wasn't, you know, it was for right. us as a community. You're absolutely right. You mentioned another great, Bob Fosse. So in my ballet world, I would imagine that there were many similarities working with the two as far as expectations and drive and passion. Mm -hmm. Is that an accurate assessment? Completely accurate. I mean, they were both tough. They were very different in personality, but I just know for when I worked with Bob, I was a little younger than when I worked with Jerry. You wanted to be the best you could every second of every day. And he was so magnetic that you just wanted to be around him to do better. And coming from the ballet world of totally turning out and then to totally turn in. But he hired ballet dancers. A lot of his big dancers were all ballet trained. Teaching the style, I've come to realize you have to have that lift. You have to lift off your leg in order to turn everything in so much. How did working with those two masters specifically shape who you are today and how you frame a class or a piece of choreography? I think story first. I try to tell a story. I have high expectations. But I also, well, two little stories. Bob, when he, I went to the first audition and he, you did a saute jump in passe across the floor one at a time, and he was at the door, and he either said, please stay, or he shook your hand and said, thank you, as you exited. Oh, that wow. was it? That was the first oh, cut. My. Wow. But he shook every person's hand. And I thought, wow, here's someone, Bob Fosse, you know, didn't have to. And I've always remembered that. And then he called us personally. I have a cassette tape with his voice saying, Jane, it's Bob. I just want to let you know you got the show. Wow. It doesn't you know? happen uh, anymore. And he was a human, right? He cared about you. And Jerry, as hard as he was, I got injured. He'd put in a helicopter lift, and it was marked during rehearsal, even though I knew he would want to see it. So we had to start again, and I was doing a little, Robbie was dipping me, and as he dipped, I had a twist of my body. Well, my muscle stayed in Robbie's hand, but my bones, you know, my body moved. So basically, my muscle came off my rib. And to Jerry's credit, he had his assistants put me in his limousine that was waiting outside, and they rushed me up to New York City Ballet because there were therapists on staff and took care of you. Treasured his artists. Yes. So those bits of humanity and of real, I try to bring some fun and some goofiness sometimes and some compassion when I teach and listening. Oftentimes, I, I think dancers, and I can attest to this having been a dancer, I think dancers feel that you are driving them so hard to that point of perfection that they don't understand that you really do have that human side. And it's lovely to hear the stories of these people that you hear all of these different tales about them <laughs> as we're chuckling, yes, right. that they really did have that human side and did care. That's lovely to hear. They did. So 
Cameron, how did working with Mr. Joffrey and Mr. Arpino shape you? You grew up in Texas, as I recall. Yes. And trained, and then you had your career with them. But you're a master teacher. I looked in the classroom today and thought, oh my gosh, these students are so lucky to have these teachers here in such small class sizes at this point in time. These are masters working with them. How did working with them shape you into the master you are today? Well, thank you for saying that about looking into the room. I enjoy working with the kids so much. I think they both came at dance from two very, very different perspectives. I think Mr. Joffe, I mean, he was such an educated and a pristine type of artist. He loved movement, but he loved really the execution and the pristine execution. So I always sort of felt that when I worked myself, but also when I teach kids about the detail. And that sometimes younger students don't understand until they're older when they look back and they say, yes, I remember that. And it matters. That matters now. And I think Mr. Joffrey taught me to realize that little details mattered, that that mattered no matter what you were doing, but the details did matter. Mr. Pino, on the other hand, he was just passion and soul and <laughs> movement and joy and, and charisma and dynamics. And so I think the combination of the two of them, that pristineness and that detail with that soul and passion and love of movement is what I took away and what I try to impart to students today when I teach either or, but when I teach in general, basically, just that, that even with all of the detail and the, the stuff that's hard sometimes, there's still a sense of movement and a song and a breath and a joy in the way you move. And I think that that is what I took away and what I, again, try to impart. <laughs> I don't know if that always comes through, but <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> it's a lesson they'll come back to whether they get it now or well, not. one day I it's going to make that. sense. Absolutely. I, I always think that one day it's going to make sense. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Moving on to current events, pandemic, racial tensions, and economic challenges. Big subjects. Big subjects. How does that relate to what we're doing now in the world of dance, and how has that created challenges? And with every challenge comes opportunity. Which one of you would like to take that one first? Well, I mean, I just think for the art community, this has been one of the most difficult hurdles ever. And it's not just a hurdle. I, I think initially we thought it was just a period, and then we realize it's not just a period now. This is the now. This is the present. We're living in it. We're having to find new ways to function. And even looking ahead, we don't even know what looking ahead is. <laughs> there is no finite answer at this point. So I think that the art community and dancers, aren't they just so great that they can address things like this, that they're finding new ways of functioning and of creating and of doing what they do. And I think it's just a very, it's physically challenging, it's emotionally challenging, certainly financially challenging. It's a hugely big hurdle to look ahead at this time right now. So I don't really have an answer. I don't know if that answered the question even. But that was yeah. great. Yeah. Um, a hurdle, I agree. You know, I think starting with the COVID in teaching at the beginning last, the end of the spring, I found that I had to totally think outside of the box. And again, it's coming up with, well, okay, so here we are in this situation. What can we do? And that I found to be, in a way, exciting because some of the things I found, I want to continue to use. And with the Black Lives Matter, I feel like I've been standing beside my friends since I was 19. 
And I can't believe in 2020, you know, it it's such a deeply soul level, the hurt and watching what everyone's going through and trying to figure out a way to educate myself, to bring some of that history into the classes. I'm still working on that. And how do we bring that into dance? So for we do a freshman showcase, it's usually dance pieces, but now it's going to have to be virtual because of COVID with the class of students. I don't know. So I was thinking about doing kind of a spoken word poetry slam with movement piece that we create and that they create, allowing themselves to express their feelings through movement, through words that we write together. And to me, not that it's exciting to teach online because it's not, especially it's with dance. This has been one it's of the hardest, hard. most challenging, difficult times ever. Yes, it's twice as hard. It's I think. twice it takes as hard. Twice yes. as much focus. But I think you know, I want to keep challenging myself, my students, finding a way to bring the social justice, for lack of a better term, into our classrooms as much as we can. I think kind of piggybacking on what Jane just said, silver linings is that the landscape of dance is going to change. I think how we act with people, how we function in our various environments, I think it is going to change because I think people, like speaking about the racial injustice in Black Lives Matter, I think people didn't realize that maybe it has an impact, that they were having impacts in a perhaps negative way that they weren't aware of. And now people are just saying, what do I need to be doing? And just the fact that we're addressing it is going to make a big difference in the future. And I think that with the art world changing and the landscape changing, I think there are going to be so many changes, some new changes. And uh, it'll be exciting to see what they are. So that's kind of a silver lining because yes. there, there are going to be some changes. You can work now virtually with someone in Europe that you couldn't work with before. You know, and now you can. So there are some good things that are happening as well amidst all this challenging time. Well, it's often said art imitates life or is life imitating art. You know, art finds a way to survive. We've had pandemics before. As I'm listening to you all speak, I think about when the polio crisis hit and we lost some dancers to that. And then you have the AIDS crisis. So art tends mm -hmm. to survive these things that happen. And if this had been 10 years ago, the virtual opportunity would not have been available to us. Correct. So while that's a wonderful opportunity, how do we engage our community in the art that we're creating that imitates our lives? I think that's the uh, $100 question, the $100 million question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's how to keep people excited and inspired and, and feel passion with a screen. I mean, I think that's just what's trying to be figured out now. Lack of dimension. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It is hard. I was just thinking, though, too, if we don't keep supporting the arts, if because it goes so hand in hand. Artists are now using their voice in a different way, like we were talking about. We're speaking in a different way, which we're giving an audience something. But if there's no audience there to view, but it also will help the audience open themselves to maybe think in a new way, which then you give feedback to the artist, which then creates something new. So we need each other in order to continue to create. Yeah, I do think new things are going to happen. And I think we don't even know exactly what they are yet. 
But now, because we are in this present situation, it's not a little temporary situation. It's the now. And I think things do have to evolve, and they are evolving. More things are being done. More creativity is happening with video and editing and using voice, using movement, with finding ways to be inspired that do come from a screen or from a, a limited stage or whatever that is. But I think there are just new ways being discovered, and I think that's what's very exciting. So this next question, it's actually two questions, and I think you've touched on it, but let's dig a little deeper if we might. Is it better to try, even if it fails, or just wait until things are normal again? And what if normal is never the same? You always got to try. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah, you always got to try. You can't just sit back and wait and hope for the best. (laughs) I think you have to try something. There are so many arts groups of all forms, all genres, that are deciding to hold off for a while. So their presence is dissipating virtually, in life, 3D, however you want to say it. They're becoming less and less prevalent as spokespeople in the world of the arts that they are representing. What do you think the long-term effect of that might be? Somebody else is going to speak up. I say, in my opinion, (laughs) things are going to move ahead, and you're not going to be on the boat. (laughs) You're I gonna, think the you're hole gonna, will be filled. Yeah, yes. you're going to be mm-hmm. dragging the anchor back there. You've got to get on board. Yeah, and, and I, ahead. there's the normal is not going to come back. Artists don't give up. They just don't no. give up. I mean, this is the first time Broadway has ever been shut down. Right. Ever, ever I ever. think. Ever. Like ever, totally. Yes. And now they're refunding tickets to the beginning of January, but I've heard from friends... It's looking like March before it'll reopen. I've heard the same, actually. And what about those performers talking about financial difficulties? Sadly, in our country, arts tend to be discretionary income. Yes. Yep. But without art and color, what do we have? Yeah. Nothing. It's true. It's true. We have a gray life, Karen. We want a colorful one. Indeed, (laughs) as we all sit here in black, black clothing. Well, not me today, but usually. Cameron, you spoke a minute ago about this can be inspiring. What inspires you? What inspires me? New things, new stories, seeing new people working in a different way, doing the same things, but perhaps in a different way. I think this time is kind of encouraging that because one must work in a different way. Yeah, just seeing something something else, something different, unexpected, you know, being surprised. And because uh, as one is more mature and has been in the world longer, you see a lot of stuff. You see a lot of things and you say, oh, that's just a repeat. Oh, that's this same thing in a different way. But every now and then there's something comes and you just go, wow. And that's just something so exciting and so, so unexpected. And I think those kind of things inspire me and uh, excite me. How about you, Jane? I got so engrossed in your answer, <laughs> I don't remember the question. Okay, we'll try I again. Know, was so good. <laughs> I have no idea what I was talking about. It was awesome. Sorry. What inspires you, specifically in creation at this point in time? What inspires you? I think about, it's, it's interesting, it's either history about a conflict and how to voice that story so that as an artist, we look at it maybe a little, not a little differently. Um, We tell the story so people don't forget. That's one thing. Or I like to take stuff that's current and try to find a way, again, to tell that story through my work either for a piece 
and music also, finding new music that speaks to me in that. When I see stuff starting to happen in my head, I know that's the piece of music I want to use. <laughs> that's how I tell. If there's nothing happening, then I know it's not for me. And when I choreograph, I usually don't get up. I see the whole thing in my head, starting with story, ending with steps. And even those I do in my head, I don't stand up. But that's exciting. I like that. So when you take that process and put it on the dancers in the room in front of you, mm -hmm. do you begin by telling them the story that they're telling or do you let it evolve and let them come to the story on their own? It depends. Sometimes I tell them what I'm feeling, but then there's also music that speaks to me, but I don't tell them what I see but I want to hear or have them listen and feel and see what story they want to tell so that it's very individual and I pretty much give them no boundaries. Here is the basic situation. It can be anything from you. There's a house. What does it look like that you're walking towards? Is it a cabin? Is it on a lake? So that they start visualizing so it becomes their environment and not just Jane said walk towards a door. <laughs> and I love that. So that's in the creation. What is the difference between that and then restaging a piece that's tried and true? You do so much of that and you do it beautifully. But the wiggle room for allowing the dancer in front of you to move as they so feel may be somewhat restricted. How do you manage that? If I'm recreating a piece, I try to recreate like a Fosse or a Robbins because I worked with them. And so, you know, I've heard them speak about a piece. I've heard them firsthand talk about the story or talk about why. So I will share that with the dancer and having that intent dancers in mind, then I will guide them towards that and the levels that are necessary in order to, you know, really perform it. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time recreating, which I usually don't do anybody else's work except for the people I've worked with, because I don't know their story. Yeah, I, I agree. don't know their process. I have no idea why they're doing what. And so I don't do that. So you're still looking for the original intent and integrity of the piece. Yes. And then as long as we know that, then you can bend it if you want, right? And put your own stamp on it. But I think the intent as to why this movement is happening at this time to this music is very important. Cameron, I don't know if you choreograph or not. I know you as an international repetiteur for the Arpino mm -hmm. Trust. How do you feel about restaging those works and, and the obligation for the integrity and the intent? I feel very much the same way. I try to give as much information because I did work with both of those gentlemen and I try to give as much information to the dancers because that's how I got the information and how I learned the pieces and worked on the pieces. So I do try to share that. But I also love seeing, and I think Mr. Arpino of all people, he loved the way dancers moved. And so while I stay very honest to what the piece should be when I'm really staging the work, you know, as it should be, I try to stay as true to the piece as it should be. But also dancers have gotten better and better and better. So you don't want to just create a museum piece that was done, you know, 20 years ago. 
but you want to allow the dancer to give to it, to add to it, while they still stay within the context of what the creator wanted to bring out of his dancer. So I try to do that. And that to me is I feel like I'm, well, I'm not choreographing. There's sort of a creative element to it because you feel like you're bringing something out of them that perhaps they are making them move in a way that was unfamiliar before. So I enjoy doing that with the dancers and just seeing what they offer and what they provide and seeing them move in a different way, perhaps. I think often young dancers are somewhat fascinated with YouTube, for instance. Mm. They get variations in choreography off of YouTube. Can you both talk to me a little bit about the importance of hearing it in the room and the intent as opposed to just watching somebody and recreate what they think they saw from YouTube? I think that's the key right there is what I think I saw, mm-hmm. <laughs> what I think I heard, I think. And even that happens in the room sometime, but you're there <laughs> to have the conversation. I it don't does. think anything can replace the real one-to-one relationship at all. You're live, you see it, you, you can see th- details that you couldn't see before. I don't think there's any replacement, really. No, and even teaching virtual classes now, at least you're present. You've got boxes to like go through, (laughs) right? Right. But at least you are in the room. And I find because I'm musical theater, I can tell when I assign a song and all of a sudden I hear the students sing and I'm like, oh, you listen to so-and-so's version. The version. You can tell what video they watch. Because they have copied all their vocal riffs and the whole thing. So, oh, wow. I didn't realize that happened. It happens with dance oh, all the time. all the time. All yes. the time vocally. So I have to tell them, do not listen once maybe. But that's it. Because then who are you as an artist? You, you don't know why they phrased it anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize that happened with music oh, the same way it does with dance. Yes. You can tell what video they watched. <laughs> and whose version. And whose version it mm-hmm. is, yes. And which costume the dancer on the video was wearing because yes. they missed the shape of the leg entirely under the tutu. That's true. Does it's, that bother you, Karen? I think that bothers you. Just a little you. bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> just, just a little. Well, ladies, we're about out of time. Do you all have any parting comments or words for our audience? I just think that we are in a time unlike any other and take advantage and find the silver linings in this period because I think it can be very challenging, certainly emotionally challenging too. I mean, there are lots of challenges, but I think we look at things very, very differently now. So we have to just find the silver linings. Dancers are so darn resilient and artists are so darn resilient and they can move ahead. And I look forward to moving onward, knowing that it's going to be different. It's the new normal. It's going to be something else. And um, yeah, to just stay up and positive and glorious in this time. Glorious. Good word. I agree with everything you just said. (laughs) But I think going back to we can't function without each other, meaning everyone in the performing arts, that includes everyone backstage and all the costumers and the lighting designers and set designers and stage managers and music directors and everyone with the audience. So... We have to remain together, which means we need to support each other, always. We need the support. The arts need to be supported. It's important. And people need art in their lives. Screen only goes so far. Yes. There's, you know, I can still remember 
when I was a little girl before I came to take my first ballet class here, going to see Swan Lake at the Embassy Theater and looking up at those girls and dreaming about maybe someday I could be one of them. But that was because it was live and I could see them. And I'll never forget that. And then stepping on the Arts United stage for that first time, it wasn't Swan Lake, but it was, you know, that, those dreams, that's what needs to be supported. Jane Lanier, Cameron Baston, thank you so much for being with us today. That's our program brought to you by Fort Wayne Ballet with the support of the University of St. Francis. I'd like to thank our co-producers, Marsha Hetrick and John Dawkins. And I'd also like to thank John for his original music, which starts and ends the show. If you would like to receive notifications on future podcasts, please like the podcast and go to fortwayneballet.org to sign up for notifications on performances, podcasts, and more ballet news. You will also find a library of past episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations with Fort Wayne Ballet. has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout!